James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, James writes, he says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming to you. Your wealth is ruined. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasures in the last days. Look, the pay you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourself. You have fattened your heart for the day your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And even though at times when we read it and it becomes so hard to digest, we know that you only give it to us because you love us. And you love us enough to tell us the truth, and you love us enough to convict us of where we're wrong. And we pray that this night that you will do just that. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Believe it or not, it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to be rich. But we need to recognize two important truths, and you're not going to like the first one. The first truth is, you've heard me say it many times, compared to the world, everyone in this room are in the top 5% of the wealthy in the world. Compared to everyone in the world, we are in the top 5%. If you go to bed every night, you're wealthy. Because a lot of people go to the curb and the street corner. If you have a roof over your head, if you, have, if you have a vehicle, if you have any income, the truth is, is that you're wealthy in this world. The second truth that I would suggest to you is that the Scripture, I won't suggest this, I'll just tell you, the Scripture has so much to say to rich people that we better... Pay attention to what's said. And we better not let it rub off our backs like water. And when we read in America about the rich people, our, our attention goes to that big dollar bill. Now, some people will tell you that money is good. Some will tell you it's bad. And I will just say this to you. Money, per se, is not either good or bad. It is neutral. You actually need money. Can I get an amen? You need money to survive. It's the currency of our culture, and we need it to survive. In Bible days, you had the really rich and you had the penniless poor, and few existed in between. And the very reason, I want you to hear this, the very reason for Acts chapter 6, when there was such a complaint about not taking care of widows in the ministry, was not because their widows had little It's because outside the church, the widows would be forced into prostitution or some other unsightly 
um, employment if they were to make money because they didn't have little. They had nothing. Today we know that money is needed. And at the same time, money and loan is neither good or bad. Someone would have us believe that money is the root of all evil, but I challenge you to, to prove that in God's Word. In fact, if you go to Proverbs, you can write it down, Proverbs 10.22, the old King James says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he, God, has no sorrow to it. You see, God doesn't particularly speak out against people who have money just because they have money. The issue is much deeper than that. And I'm just pause here and go off on a tangent for a second. Too often we want to draw a stroke and make a rule and write it down of the way it is, and when really most of the time it's much deeper than we tend to think. The Scripture is very clear that money, that wealth, that a rich person has some obstacles to overcome to become a spiritual person. It is more difficult for a rich person than it is for a poor person. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to divide this into three thoughts tonight as we walk through this text. And actually, I'm going to take it in reverse order. I begin where you would think I begin with the wickedness of the rich. With the wickedness of the rich. And I find that in verses 4 through 6. When I read verses 4 through 6, the wickedness of rich just jump out at me if for no other reason than verse 6 says... Rich people, you have condemned and murdered the righteous man. This immediately brings to me the danger of being rich. It's always been said that money talks. One comedian, and actually, I read a comedian, and then this week as I'm reading the biography of Leonard Ravenhill, he said it many times in his sermon. He said that money talks to me all the time, but most of all it says... Goodbye. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hear what A.W. Tozer, a great uh, man of God in the years past, talks about money. He says, does it say, get me any way you can, even if it's exploitation? Does it say, hold me tight, keep me, clutch me? If so, you, you of all people are most miserable. Does money say, spend me on yourself and no one else? If so, money has become your master. Or does it say, give me a way to others in the service of Jesus? If it will say that, the peace, you, you will know the peace and joy that can only come from Jesus. When I read this and I think about the wickedness of the, of the rich, I am reminded of what I've come to call the eye of the needle principle, that it is more difficult for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And this is because the riches, the wealth, and the money, I want to say that again, the riches, the wealth, the money, and the blessings have a way of making us wicked and dependent on our money. So I just go ahead, Alicia. Wickedness comes from, I want you to see this. Wickedness comes from basically three places. First of all, it comes from how you get it. How, how you get it. Scripture speaks about this right here. It's when I read verse 4, it speaks of injustice. It speaks of dishonesty. It speaks of fraud. It says... In verse 4, it says, The pay you withheld from your workers who reaped your fields cries out, 
And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of harvest. Now, here's what I'll say to you. First of all, when I think about somebody holding out money for my paycheck, I think of Wanda. But actually, it's beyond Wanda, but it's the government. Now, this isn't talking about those types of withholdings. This is not talking about our taxes. This is talking about people who have been cheated. This is talking about rich people who have taken advantage of their employees. You see, folks, it's a sad time when you or I become rich by this world's standard because we've mistreated someone else. And it says, you want to, this is something it says, and the outcry of those harvesters, the ones who've been defrauded, has reached the ears of the Lord of the harvest. Literally, it's reached the ears of God himself. And it reminds me of the Genesis passage when, uh, um, when Cain had killed Abel. And when God came to confront Cain, He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see, folks, the outcry of the poor, the outcry of the cheated, the outcry of the abused, the outcry of the frauded always reaches the ears of the Father. It does matter how we get whatever we have. The second thing I will say to you is that our wickedness not only comes from how we get it, but our wickedness comes from how we use it. How we use it. You go to verse 5 and you see it says, um, You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourself and you've even got ready for the days of slaughter. You fattened your hearts for the days of slaughter. When I read that, the, the word that jumps out at me is indulgence. How you get it is injustice. How you, how you spend it is indulgence. We tend to indulge ourselves. Hello? Let's don't be super spiritual tonight. We indulge ourselves. We honestly get the idea we indulge ourselves because we deserve it. I'm just going to tell you this. I am sick and tired. And sick and tired always follow sick. You understand what I'm saying? Of these commercials. Where, where are you here? Now my son can have the computer he deserves. Now, now I'm glad that my, my wife can have the clothes she deserves, the money she deserves. You know, we deserve nothing. It's not written down on our birth certificate. In fact, I remind you that uh, James is speaking about living luxuriously on the land, and it is very, the very same word that Haggai spoke a couple of, a couple of uh, weeks ago when we read that, Haggai 1, when he says, Is it really a time for you to live in luxurious houses while the work of the Lord lies in ruins? We choose to live for ourselves and spend it on ourselves. Then according to God's word, watch this, let me say that again, when we choose to live for ourselves, when we choose to spend it on ourselves in an indulgent fashion, we are preparing ourselves for the judgment of God. You see, Solomon said, I've done everything under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. I've done everything under the sun. And the truth is, and when I looked at it, 
it brought me no profit. I was chasing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. Here's something for us to think about. As God's retained children, whatever we have, whatever we have is to be used for his purposes, for his kingdom, and for his work. Now, since I'm speaking on this, I'm going to go right here. It's not in the notes, but I feel impressed. And here's what I'll say to you. At the very minimum, our tithe belongs in his church. When you choose to withhold your tithe, and I've always thought it was funny when people withhold their tithes to get at the preacher. I've always thought that's funny. You go, well, we just starve them out. Well, you know, the truth is, is that who's hurting from that? The preacher's hurting? No, let me tell you who hurts from that. The church hurts from that. The gospel hurts from that. And you hurt from that. Because you see, you're stealing not from the preacher. You're not even stealing from the church. You're stealing from God. Wouldn't you like to know that you withheld your tithes three weeks and dropped dead of a heart attack and had to go to the judgment seat of Christ having three weeks of tithes in your pocket? Just a thought. Not in my notes, just a thought. Now, it is true, I've said that everything we have, we need to use for his purposes, his kingdom, his work. It is true that we can carry that to an extreme where it's harmful, where we don't take care of our families. Scripture teaches us clearly, a man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. You're expected to take care of your family. You're expected to take care of your needs. But I will challenge everybody here on this, how we use our money. In America... In Hueytown, we do a lot more of need fixing than we do want fixing. I'm excuse me, we do a lot more of want fixing than we do need fixing. We spend a lot more on wants than we do needs. Wickedness comes to the rich man, how he gets his money, how he uses his money, and number three, how he views his money. Scripture does not say that money is the root of all evil. Rather, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I'm just going to take a, a deviation here, and just I'm just trying to give you some thoughts tonight, things that you'll take home process. Johnny Hunt, pastor of um, First Baptist Church, Woodstock, is absolutely one of my favorite preachers. An acquaintance. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say he's a close acquaintance. We've met a couple of dozen times. You probably... Made him a lot more than I have, um, Jerry. But I read, I read one of his messages, and he offered four laws. And you need to write these down and just hear some comments about them. Go ahead, Alicia. The first law is the law of, of clarification. Now, we need to be clear about who's, whose it is. This bank account we have, this 401K we have, this retirement plan we have, this, uh, this income we have, this riches we have. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. If you got it, it belongs to him. You're just a steward. If I got it, I'm just a steward. It's not something that he's given to me for life or longer. He's given it to me to manage. Second law is the law of circulation. 
Basically, that means in God's economy, the call is to give. In fact, if you look back in Genesis when God created the heaven and the earth, and you read back in Genesis 1, 2, you find that the sun gave, the earth gave, the animals gave, the trees gave, man gave. And then one day Satan tripped into the, into the garden as a snake. And all of a sudden the economy turned from give to take. And that is the economy we live in today. Man became greedy. God says keep it in circulation so it can help, so it can benefit, so it can minister. Sometimes when I preach, old Satan gets running around in my head because every time I make statements and I'm trying to teach you spiritual principles, I hear Satan's voice going, you're saying don't put up for retirement? No, I'm not saying that. But there's a difference in putting up for retirement and hoarding. And if you'll make it a matter of prayer, God wants us to give. God wants us to put it in circulation. If you'll make it a matter of prayer, I don't, I'm not the final authority. He is. And he'll lead you if you walk with him. The third is the law of cooperation. Cooperation. Now, I love this part. You see, since we know that all wealth belongs to God, you ready for this? So by heir, Jesus is the heir of God. Guess who the joint heir is are? We are. You see, God made us join heirs with Jesus. So that means with our money, with our riches, we're called to cooperate with Jesus, with what he wants done. And the last one is the law of cultivation. Cultivation. And here's what I'll say. This is, this is the proper way to appropriate the, the, God's wealth, and that is to give. Scripture says, give and it will be given to you. Solomon wrote, cast your bread on the water and after many days it will come back to you. I'm not going to hammer this point, but I, just, I, want you to, I want you to just give this thought. I think that one of the things that may be asked at the judgment seat of Christ, were you a steward of God's money? Or were you stingy with God's money? Were you a steward of God's money? Or were you stingy with God's money? And you folks, I, I, I think I've been, I think I've overexpressed this to you guys. I'm not preaching this because in this crowd we have a lot of problems that I know of. I'll just tell you. Once again, all I got to do is let this, Jerry, I'm going to tell you something. If I let this group know that we got a real practical need money-wise, I don't know that we got a lot of millionaires out here. Van, Huey, and J.D. sitting back there. They may have a million stuck up somewhere, but I don't know that we got a lot of millionaires. But I'm going to tell you what. I have, we have never brought a, a need to this congregation that I know of in over six years that they've not stepped up taking care of it just like that. That's, that is a good witness. But I wonder, I wonder if it's everything God wants us to be. By the way, we're about to, have, we're about to be challenged again. Y'all heard me, some of you in business meeting, 
heard me Wednesday night talk about us doing this bullying program for the middle school. We're going, I met with the counselor on Thursday, and I didn't really meet with her. I met her and gave her the material, and we'll hear back from her. What I found out is they have about 275 sixth graders. That equates to, if they have 275 sixth graders and we're going to touch all those sixth graders in that school, it's going to cost us $550 to get that done. You know what? In some churches, I'd be not, I'd been, my knees have been knocking. I'm not worried about it here because we know the need, we know the ministry, and I believe that we'll, get it, we'll pull our heads together and we'll get it taken care of. But you see, folks, the reason that there's so much word to the rich is because the rich... The wealth has a way of corrupting, and, and it, tends to, it tends to take us to the point where the things that we think we need, where the things that we, really the things that we want, are the very things that reveal who we are. The wickedness of the rich. Well, let's go a step further. Another thing I see here in verse 3 is I see the witness. Go ahead. The witness against the rich. There is a witness here. And I'm going to tell you, even as I studied this, something just leaped off the page at me, and I'll get to it. You know, in in a court of law, you get accused of something, they bring witnesses in. But you bring witnesses in for the defendant and either for the prosecutor or the plaintiff. Now, when you get those witnesses on the stand, both attorneys hope to discredit the witnesses that the other one calls so that their case will be strengthened and they can win. And the very thing that the rich, that the rich person focuses his life on is the very thing that is going to testify against the rich. And I see in this three possibilities. Down in verse... um, we talked about those who workers in the field and the harvest and all this. So you know, in those days, it was grain. And so the first thing that I learned here is that the rich people, the witness is the grain, and the grain is rotten. The grain is rotten. Many times I've alluded to the three stages of development. I don't know that there may be more. You can start back at the seed, but... But when the fruit's on the vine, you have green, ripe, and rot. When Jesus said, see the fields that are ripe for harvest, he reminds us that if we don't bring in the harvest at the right time, it can lay in the field and rot on the vine. And the word to these folks is, is this. You have mistreated the very people, the very thing that you're putting your whole life in, that grain, and now it is rotten. Those riches could have been used for God. They could have been used for blessing. I'm reminded of that story of the, of the guy who tore down the, bigger, the little barns, built bigger barns, because he was trying to put his wealth in that bigger barn. And God came to him and said, listen, you won't need that. You can pass that along to your kids, because tonight you're coming to meet your maker. You see, the very witness is the fact that the grain rotted. There's another witness, if you move up to verse uh, 2, it says, Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your garments are ruined. Now, I just want to say this. We don't have a lot of teenagers here tonight. 
So I'm speaking in pretty good company about who understands what moth-eaten clothes are. Yes, sir. We remember those old stinky mothballs. Or either the cedar cabinet. We remember those stinky mothballs to correct to, to help protect us. You see, back in James's day, now watch this. You remember the mothballs, how it protect us? Back in James's day, there was not any mothballs. When you put clothes up, you just took your chances. And, and James said, look, if you leave your clothes laying around, if you, particularly those clothes that you like, what's going to happen is they're going to be worthless. And they'll be a witness against you because you're rich and you, and you um, allow so much waste in your life because you're rich. Your grain's ruined. Your garment's ruined, but watch this. Your gold is rusted. Your gold, he says, your silver and gold are corroded. Now, I've read that for years, and I go, yeah, because it's been, the, it's been in the wrong thing and, and all this, but this is the most interesting part of this, because you know what the truth is? Real silver and real gold will never corrode. Real silver, real gold, real wealth will never corrode. When he says your wealth is ruined, you know what he's saying? I think he's saying you're putting all your eggs in the wrong basket. You're climbing a ladder that's leaning up against the wrong wall. What you think is wealth really is something different. He's saying to us at the very reason that our garments and our grain and our gold witness against us is because we are storing up treasures in the wrong place and of the wrong kind. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, for moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You know why you lay up your treasures up there? He ends with this statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As an aside, he didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure would be. He said where your treasure is, your heart will be. You see, wherever we're putting our treasure reveals where our heart already is. It's a sobering thought. You look at somebody's life and where, if, if their prime directive is to get a lot of money in their retirement account, that's really where their heart is. If their, if their prime motive is to make money, you know where their heart is. I've already said it. We're rich people in this land. We have a house over our head, food on the table. We're healthy. We're rich. I ask you tonight, where are we placing our treasure? When Van and Wayne and Gary and I went to Albany, it still burns in my mind in that massive uh, uh, atrium. There's a big sign, David, that says this. Whoever wants the next generation the worst will get it. 
Is our treasure in the next generation? Or it is, is it in the comfort of this generation? Is our treasure in the vault of a bank? Or is our treasure in the halls of heaven? Is our treasure in money? Or is our treasure in souls? Today, this morning, Coach Joe Paterno died. I've watched him on the sideline of the Nittany Lions ever since I was a little boy. Saw Doug Flutie on TV, and they were asking a right question. They said, what would Joe Paterno's legacy be now? Will it be all those years that he won all those ball games, or will it be how he handled the sexual immorality? And Doug Flutie, I think wrong, I disagree with him, said, oh, they'll remember the ball games. I dare say they won't. thing I thought about today when I walked out of the church, and I think Robert's the one that said on the way out, said he had heard on the way that the coach had died. I just bowed my head and I said, Lord, I hope he knew you. All the ball games he won, not going to matter. All the other good things they say he was a philanthropist, not going to matter. It only matters what we do with Jesus and how we live according to his principles and precepts and how we don't let the riches that we have corrupt us. There's one last thing that I'll see here, I'll see here and then we'll be done. And that is a warning to the rich. A warning to the rich. He says, come on now, you rich people. Come on now, pay attention. Let's get real for a second. Come, let us reason together. Come now, you rich folks. Watch this. You better get ready because you're rich. There's going to be some misery and trouble coming your way. And you know why the misery was coming their way? It's because of how they acted. Because their actions, because how they viewed their grain, their garment, and their gold, because of how they treated people. All these things will be called to testify against you if you make it to the judgment seat. The rich have obstacles to overcome. You and I have obstacles to overcome. Thinking about this the other day, I was reading something about a martyr, somebody being burned at the stake. Actually, I was reading about the King James Version of the Bible. And how they had taken the pages because they first thought it was a perversion and they burned somebody using the pages of the Bible, burned them at the stake. And I wonder today, as soft as we've had it, we get upset when we get overheated in church. What would happen if we were called on to die? told you the story before, but it fits here. Church of about, it's told, I've never tracked this down to which church it was, it's told that a church that ran about 1,800, 2,000 people were gathered this Sunday morning, three or four or five masked men walked in with automatic weapons, walked down front, commandeered the service, and they said, 
whoever doesn't want to die needs to leave now. And out of that 1,800, 2,000 people, all but about 150 or 200 left. Man dropped his weapon, took his mask off, turned to the preacher and said, Preacher, we got the hypocrites out of here. Let's have church. It is a sad day. It is a sad day when we hang on to the wrong things. We base our lives on the wrong things. We don't have the commitment of the apostles and the martyrs. And we reach up and we grab a hold of these things of this world and we won't let go. Corey Ten Boone wrote this. She said, I've, I've learned not to hold on things of this life too tightly because it hurts when God pries my fingers loose from me. I've already mentioned it tonight. A few weeks ago, we visited Haggai. And I shared with you that humans were insatiable. We have this carnal need to, to get enough. The problem is in our carnality, it doesn't matter what we get, it's never enough. Haggai said, guys, you have food, it's never enough. You have drink, it's never enough. You have clothes, but it's never enough. You have money, but it's never enough. Word to the rich. I end with kind of a humorous story. Let's see if we can see ourselves in it. Man, a man was a frequent at a restaurant. He was a regular diner there all the time. So as you can imagine, the owner, mom and pop story, always did his best to please the guy. One day the guy came in and ordered his lunch and he got only one piece of bread. And so he complained. He said, um, he said, that's not enough bread. So the next time he ate, they brought him two pieces of bread. He complained again. That's not enough. Next time he came in, they brought him four pieces of bread. He says, no, that's good, but aren't you still being kind of frugal with the whole thing? And the complaints didn't stop. And so finally, to shut him up, they brought a loaf of bread out, six foot long, three foot wide. The owner and two waiters brought it out and put it on the table. And the man looked up and said, so, we're back to one piece of bread again. You know, the truth is, I wonder if God sees us like that. That no matter what he gives us, it's not enough. The warning against the rich, it tells us, it doesn't say if you're going to have miseries. It says when you have miseries. Let us not, let us not put our faith, our possessions, our lives, in a, in a way of focusing on our, what we think is our treasures. Let us be the ones who step forward and put our focus on Him. And when it comes to our money and our wealth, let us be free to give. Let us give till we hurt. Because I want to just say this to you. Most of you know it better than I. You really cannot outgive.
cast your bread upon the water. And after many days, it will come back to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you can work deep within the recesses of our hearts. And you can reveal to us where we have where we have misplaced our priorities. I pray that you will speak to our hearts in the quietness of this moment. Just keep your head bowed and your eye closed. I'll ask Robin just to go ahead and play. We're not going to sing. Just spend a little time with the Lord. Think about his word to us. Think about if we have really uh, if we have um, misused what he's given us. If we've become so selfish living such indulgent luxurious lives that it's hampered us being able to give for him and to him. Now think about your own life, not just your wealth. Is there any part of it that you're being stingy with, you know, withholding from Him? 